My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This episode is brought to you by Buyers Agency Australia. Now, without a full-time kind of steady income, you know, wasn't able to um, borrow anyway. Um, so I dabbled in, you know, shares a little bit, you know, some wins, some losses. Um, but uh, yeah, when I started as an intern doctor, um, I knew I wanted to get into property investing. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Daniel Lamp, a doctor and avid property investor from Sydney. While neither medicine nor property investing are embedded in his DNA, he shares what got him into both of these fields and how he works to strike the perfect work-life balance. Lamp works as a GP and is proud to help people from all walks of life when they need it most. However, he knows the importance of taking care of himself, including his financial health. In his free time, he's also combined his two passions to run meetup groups for doctors and healthcare professionals interested in property investing. So, very varied. Um, so, I currently split my time in between general practice and also working in emergency at the hospital. So, I guess in the general um, practice clinic setting, I see patients manage their chronic conditions, do preventative care, you know, check results, things like that. Whilst in the emergency department, um, usually it's more kind of acute or emergency type presentations, you know, patients come in with a problem and my role is to come up with a diagnosis and then also a management plan. You know, they might come in with heart attacks, strokes, infections, you know, injuries that need stitching, mental health crisis, it's a real mix. Um, and yeah, both my roles, I use my problem-solving skills, which I quite enjoy, and it's great um, helping people, meeting people from all walks of life. He's keen to buck stereotypes, starting with how he got into his profession. Coming from um, immigrant, immigrant family background, um, you know, n- not particularly well off growing up, and um, I guess importance of education was distilled in me as well. Um, but in regards to medicine, um, unlike the stereotype, my parents didn't actually push me into medicine or anything like that. You know, I wanted to choose a degree, a career where um, there was, you know, science and academic as well, but then can also um, interact with people and make a real difference in their lives. 
Um, so, yeah, I applied for uh, medical school and um, was accepted. A Hong Kong native, Lamp came to Australia at three years old. While he and his family quickly found a place to call home, he found himself venturing north when it was time to spread his wings. Um, initially in Western Sydney and then later kind of in the northern suburbs, kind of Hornsby area of Sydney. Um, I went to high school in Balcombe Hills High, um, which was a selective school. So, um, you know, being ac- um, a, he- a heavy emphasis, I guess, on academics. Um, and, yeah, I wanted to um, choose a uni degree where I could um, – I enjoyed science, but then I also wanted to, you know, have a – real-world applica- application and impact on people. So, you know, applied widely for medicine and um, was accepted, uh, I think, for Western Sydney and also Newcastle. Um, but, um, yeah, I liked Newcastle's program and and it was a good lifestyle living there as well. Um, yeah, and enjoyed my time studying there. So, I'm just curious now, do you know why your parents moved from Hong Kong to Australia when you were very young? So, I think that was the around the time of the... I think 1997 or so handover um, of Hong Kong uh, back to China and I think that was part of the reason and also I guess wanting um, you know a better life um, like lots of immigrants um, in Australia was um, offering yeah opportunities which I'm, I guess I'm grateful for. He grabbed all the opportunities he could with both hands though like many young people he temporarily lost sight of his goals. Luckily, a reminder came along at just the right time. It was uh, a bit of a trek to get to, I remember that. Um, but in terms of the environment, um, going to class, teachers, quite enjoyed it. I, one, one thing does stick out in mind is when I was in year 10, I remember being called to the deputy principal's office. And I was like, oh, you know, what, what have I done wrong? You know, my mind churning. And then I found out that I was um, in the bottom 10% of the cohort. And kind of it was kind of like a wake-up call to try and, you know, <laughs> pull things together. And I did soon after that have the goal of wanting to study medicine. So I knew I had to try and, you know, so I implemented a plan, um, you know, consistent action, um, you know, lunch times, using that to study it as well. And ended up at the end of year 12, um, going from bottom 10 out of 200 to the top 10 out of 200. So that was a real achievement and I was quite proud of that. While the moment in the principal's office gave him a nudge in the right direction, it wasn't what drove him to study medicine. I wouldn't say there was one particular incident or reason. Um, um, As I alluded before, you know, I quite enjoyed the, the science, all, all the sciences really, um, but then I wanted something where, yeah, I guess a bit of real world application and kind of employable skills, um, you know, rather than I knew some people that had gone down, say, medical science route and then hard to get employment after that as well. So there was that practical side of it. But also, as well, I guess from my interactions um, with doctors um, growing up, you know, overall had quite positive. Um, influences and I guess that opened up my mind and I guess um, you know being a selective school as well you know there were some colleagues that were interested um, in in medicine as well you know other things I thought briefly about was like law and stuff like that but I'm I'm glad I chose medicine over say law yeah and I'm really curious then after you finished 
high school, did you go straight into studying into medicine at Newcastle University or did you take some time off to potentially, um, yeah, travel and, and see the world or, or did you do any work or jobs or anything like that? Yeah, so I guess medicine, you can go either undergraduate route or the graduate route. Um, the trend, I think, from what I hear nowadays is more unis are leaning towards the, you know, doing an undergrad degree then going to postgrad. But at the time, you know, I went into Newcastle, which was um, undergraduate five-year degree. And yeah, it was a good time, you know, learning the theory and lectures. But then um, also one of the highlights was the early clinical placements where you had you know could actually meet patients and see what you were learning being applied um, to them and also obviously like you know other uni degrees there's a lot of you know self-directed learning as well um, and yeah it was good but um, yeah by the, towards the end of the five-year degree I you know couldn't wait to start you know working. He wasn't exempt from working hard while studying and also capitalized on his skills early on. I did save up my money and, and towards the end, I knew I wanted to get into property investing so I knew I needed to start saving for a deposit. So, yeah, did a lot of um, casual jobs, um, retail um, and also um, had a, a two, uh, for a period of time a tutoring business as well, helping um, people mainly with maths and also to a medicine entry as well. While his jobs came in handy when it came to saving, they alone weren't enough to jump into property. Always a problem solver, Lamp had a solution or so he thought. You know, without a full-time kind of steady income, you know, wasn't able to um, borrow anyway. Um, So, I dabbled in, you know, shares a little bit, you know, some wins, some losses. Um, But uh, yeah, when I started as an intern doctor, um, I knew I wanted to get into property investing. Basically, I did shares initially and, you know, I remember one share tripling um, but then I had another, you know, I think it was a mining share that dropped 90% <laughs> so kind of balanced each other out I think um, by the end of it and, um, yeah, you know, scrolling through the share prices every day, uh, you know, I don't think it was particularly great use of time and I guess I, I did, you know, think ahead, you know, wanted to... Um, uh, improve my circumstances financially and I could see you know just saving by itself is important but you know needed to take the next step and you know invest in some assets as well and you know I could see lots of Australians you know believe in and love property as an asset asset vehicle so I did a lot of research um, and then later when I was an intern doctor you know attending some um uh, meetups, uh, looking at forums such as Property Chat, and you know, listening to podcasts um, su- such as this one, and you're yeah, just getting all the information I can, and then later ap- applying it. Was there any particular book or anything that you you, you stumbled across that kind of give you insight, or was it just mainly the forums and listening to pop- podcasts and talking to people at meetups? Yeah, I, I don't think there was one particular book. I do remember reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, you know, which I think a lot of people do and that, you know, got me just mindset-wise interested in, you know, in investing um, and also partly business as well rather than just being an employee. Um, but obviously that book doesn't directly apply to, you know, help you with buying property in Australia. So, yeah, use a wide range of resources. 
His parents were in professional roles but not within property. Although property didn't run through his veins, the Lamb family has always worked hard. My parents, um, you know, have their own home but um, weren't, I guess, taught or particularly did property investing. Um, So, my dad, um, once he um, eventually did have to retrain, um, I I think he was initially in IT at the time and my mum was an accountant and um, in Sydney is is a bookkeeper. Coming up after the break, Lamp shares where his profession has taken him. So I was an um, intern um, in Sydney. I worked in a variety of different, you know, roles and locations. You know, you do different terms, rotating every, uh, I think, ten to twelve weeks or so. How and why property investing appeared on the horizon? Um, I could see property allowed, you know, leverage can get steady cash flow from rental income and obviously, of course, capital growth. He shares the highs and lows of his first investment experience. There were hiccups along the way, um, which, you know, when friends and colleagues ask me about property investing, I tell them to expect hiccups. You know, it's not going to be just smooth sailing. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. His role has led to many opportunities to travel and work across Australia both in cities and rural areas. He found venturing into the regions proved somewhat of a culture shock. So everyone after medical school has to do um, a junior years, you know, internship and then um, a resident um, before, you know, potentially going into specialty training. But given there's so many juniors, doctors nowadays, usually people do a couple more years of, um, you know, junior unaccredited training before getting onto a training program. So back to, so I was an um, intern um, in Sydney. I worked in a variety of different, you know, roles and locations. You know, you do different terms rotating every, uh, I think, 10 to 12 weeks or so. Um, so I worked in, you know, very busy tertiary hospitals in Sydney all the way to some rural locations such as um, even, you know, Outback, you know, Broken Hill in um New South Wales, um, Griffith in the Murrumbidgee region and also um, in Mount Isa in um, northern Queensland uh, with yeah. So, you know, in the more rural locations as there are less doctors, you know, there was an opportunity to kind of step up and upskill and at these smaller hospitals, you do see some really sick patients but 
you have less resources available. So I do remember, you know, being part of the team trying to resuscitate some really unwell patients and then trying to coordinate with the Royal Flying Doctor Service to kind of retrieve them out to more major centres for more specialised care. During these stressful times, Lamp certainly felt challenged and ultimately took away many important life lessons. It was obviously challenging, but I guess, you know, the training kicks in, you know, do the basics, you know, go through a system of what you can do, what may be wrong with the patient, um, you know, examination, investigations, and then trying to figure out a management plan, you know, involving um, specialists or, or, or retrieval and, and things like that. So, yeah, it was a it was a good learning experience. With the staff, I could see being a smaller team, you know, that everyone knows everyone by the first name and, and can kind of work together as well. Mm, excellent. So, you've, you've completed, let's say you've, you've gone through, how many years was that uh, to do your, your internship? I did um, three years, I guess, in the hospital system and then I then applied and was accepted into general practice training um, and that was another two years, yeah. Wow. So, let's say all up 10 years of your life has been pretty much up to training until you actually become a qualified GP. Is that correct to say? I've had some friends and colleagues who, um, you know, trying to get into um, other specialty training programs such as surgery or, um, you know, those ones instead of being um, general practice two years, those could be, you know, five, six plus years further. So, yeah. As with many people dedicated to their profession, Lamp has a specific reason he chose the path he did of becoming a GP. I could see in the hospital there's a lot of really unwell patients but some of the conditions, you know, could have been prevented by, um, you know, um, could be diabetes, high blood pressure, um, cholesterol, things like that. You know, kind of if seeing them towards the pointy end in emergency and in intensive care where, you know, you can try your best but you know, imagine if we could prevent that in the first place. So that kind of drew me towards general practice. Um, yeah, I'll be honest. I think um, you know, with some of the highlight in the media as well, there's a lot of challenges in in um, general practice and preventative healthcare in the system as well, and politics, which I probably won't get into in this podcast. But um, yeah, I guess that's what drew me to that as well. And also, yeah, but I mean, partly as well, in terms of um, you know, I don't have to do. Um, night shifts you know in general practice and and things like that but you know from working in healthcare i can see that you know it's really you know not just the doctors working hard but also the nurses and the cleaners and especially in some of those smaller regions i worked in i could see everyone kind of pulling in together to try and keep the health system going and you know providing the best possible care in challenging circumstances yeah well, it's been really interesting. And then since then, you've been a GP all the way through? Yeah. So, recently got, got my fellowship, but um, I'm still uh, yeah working in, in the hospital in the emergency. Sometimes um, I, I enjoy that mix and also keeping up my skills as well. After receiving mixed results during his experience with shares, Lamp turned his eye to property towards the end of his university degree. I could see property allowed you know, leverage can get steady cash flow from rental income and obviously, of course, capital growth. And also, I guess I found out that certain professionals can get into property with, you know, 10% deposit and not have to pay lenders mortgage insurance, you know, such as doctors, nurses, accountants. Um, so, I could see some of the advantages with property. 
And I guess my mindset was that I need to be investing even from a early in the career because at the time I could remember I could see, you know, these doctors, you know, more advanced in the career around me, you know, so busy looking after patients, you know, doing overtime, doing night shifts, on core, working 60 up to 100 hours a week. You know, they had no time really to take care of their own physical health or also their financial health. So I could see, you know, just working and working for so many hours for decades on end, you know, was not going to be sustainable. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, after in, in my first year as a junior doctor, you know, I was 23 years old, you know, I had saved up um, a deposit and had done the research, you know, I didn't get any handouts from my parents. Um, yeah, my salary as a first year doctor was, you know, 60000 you know, and, and I had around, I think, $90,000 in savings. So I guess, you know, with 10% deposit, stamp duty, buy agent fees, solicitor fees, all in, I had to chip in, you know, 80000 which I remember at the time was so daunting. You know, I'd, I'd watched, you know, my savings build up over time in the bank account. And then I remember feeling like sick in the stomach, you know, pretty much having to put all my life savings into this one investment property. Yeah. After growing up in Sydney, the Harbour City was Lance's first choice when it came to locations to invest in. However, the timing just wasn't right. But I could see that Sydney had just peaked and for my budget, I could see better value in another state. I could see that Brisbane um, was undervalued at the time and had good fundamentals. Um, I, I did use a buyer's agent for the first one because I, I guess I wanted someone to hold my hand for such a big investment decision, um, especially kind of... Um, first investment, you know, wanted to make the, the right choice. So, bought in um, a suburb in the North Brisbane, um, you know, reasonably close to the city, had good amenities um, and, you know, at the time, you know, there was a, a piece of land in an infill suburb and then separately engaged a builder with a fixed price contract, built a, you know, for, you know standard four bedroom, two bath, double lock-up garage, um, all in for about 560000 um, I, I did want to point that this is different to, you know, those house and land packages where, you know, like a marketer or spruker sells you the whole package in a very far-flung su- suburb and they get a, you know, like a 20% markup. Um, you know, in general, I'm not a fan of house and land packages. Um, but back to this one, you know, the, 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 I guess in hindsight, the downside was that the land was not yet titled. You know, initially I was told, you know, only be, you know, two, three months, but it ended up taking almost a year for it to finally get registered, which was really frustrating at the time. Um, I, d- I guess one silver lining was that the market was still going up and I only had to pay interest on the land portion initially. Um, so, yeah, only had to pay stamp duty on the land um, and not like a house and land package where you pay the stamp duty on the full value. Um, there were hiccups along the way. Um which, you know, when friends and colleagues ask me about property investing, I tell them to expect hiccups, you know, it's not going to be just smooth sailing. So, I guess in this case, the initial building plans submitted to council were declined, you know, as apparently it needed a specific um, distance between the back fence and the back of the house. So, then, you know, back to the drawing board, you know, further delays, you know, paying more interest. Um, But in the end, you know, construction got started you know i got regular updates with pictures and it was very exciting you know once we got to the completion stage excellent 
And how long did that take to complete the whole build from purchase to the end? I would say around a year um, all up. Um, and when it came out time to kind of trying to rent the property out um, at the time, it wasn't a hot rental market. Um, you know, one prospective tenant um, kind of wanted an extra aircon installed in the master bedroom and I guess negotiated and they were happy to pay $20 extra a week in rent if I put the aircon in. So I did. And I guess this is a lesson in terms of trying to come up with win win solutions for everyone. Yeah. He bought the property as a fixed price building contract and used a mortgage broker to organize the construction finance. When all was said and done, it was 2018 and time to start the process again. So I just sat on it while I continued my medical career um, and then later um, I did uh, buy my second investment property. Um, so I do have an interesting story for this one. So. Um, I had finished a set of seven night shifts um, in working in intensive care at the time and then you know I hopped up hopped on a plane to Brisbane and then in this weekend I just inspected you know 10 to 15 properties kind of back to back um, yeah had a rental car just going around um, there was one property that that fit the criteria that I was after um, you know this one I felt a bit more confident to do on my own as well and and, and do my research. So there was one property that I that fit the criteria, and then I put in an offer, and yeah, it was accepted, which was very exciting. Um, this was just before the 2019 federal election, where there was lots of market uncertainty. You know, people you know holding off decisions, you know, waiting for this event. But I pulled the trigger anyway. So yeah, soon after election, the Brisbane market you know started taking off, and then I bought that one for six hundred twenty-five thousand, and. Um, today be between 1 to 1.1 million. Between this and his first property now valued at 900,000, he's made some excellent returns in a short period of time and is ready to keep rolling. Yeah, so got the two investment properties and um, yeah, looking back, you know, with the second property which I purchased myself and actually did better than the buyer's agent with the first one but overall, um, still happy with the, the the market I guess and also as I said, I avoided um, some of my colleagues, you know, um, unfortunately bought like the really wrong asset class or and gone backwards and, and um, I guess I'm thankful that um, I've, I've, I've done okay so far and, you know, keep learning and keep pressing forward, yeah. Daniel Lamb's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. He shares more about his upbringing and how it affected his finances. Growing up in a not particularly well-off household, I guess I, you know, savings habits were instilled in me. The reason why people like himself are often seen as easy targets for some. I have had a few close calls in regards to almost buying the wrong type of property. We dive into how it doesn't always pay off to listen to everybody else's opinions. And also, not just the whole economy, I think, it's also your personal economy. And that's next time on Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals? 
or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 